This episode of the Star Wars Battlefront Podcast is brought to you by our patrons on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash battlefrontpodcast to help support this show. We're also brought to you by our PayPal supporters, paypal.me slash tie-dye-sheep, T-Y-E-D-Y-E-S-H-E-E-P. This episode is also brought to you by Star Wars Gaming Network, starwarsgaming.net, your online resource for Star Wars Battlefront. Pick your class and learn your master points. Because it's time for the Star Wars Battlefront Podcast. Welcome to episode 114 of the Star Wars Battlefront Podcast. I am back with Mitch and Walt, the writers of Star Wars Battlefront 2, and we're going to do a huge spoiler fest of the campaign. So if you have not played, I would definitely turn away now. If you haven't played, what's wrong with you? Exactly. Please play yeah. our game. Support us. Don't you care? <laughs> yes. I've actually played it like three times now, so... Yeah! Nice. Uh, two times. This is hopefully a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> I was just... I was, I was tearing it apart while I was playing every time. <laughs> no, actually... That's fair. When you really hate something... You just want you to just gotta keep going back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You just keep on going at it. But this episode, we'll be talking the campaign and the uh, new addition to the campaign as well. So, let's get started. Star Wars Battlefront 2 has a campaign. I can't believe it. It's like, it's like they actually listened and made something awesome. And you guys are the ones that wrote it, right? Yes, we tried to make something awesome, and I'm uh, pleasantly surprised how it all turned out. It's it's something like you play through this game hundreds of times in development, and you become a little bit numb to it. But it comes out, and I'm texting with Walt like, oh, I, li- I like our campaign. It's fun. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> you see, now, the, where it's different with me is that being off-site, because Mitch is on-site at Moda full-time, and I work from a closet in a house in a field in Louisiana. Uh, oh, Mitch played this game a hundred times, so I'd never touched it. Maybe played the campaign twice throughout the whole time we were in development. And the last time I played it was about six months before it shipped, where pretty much none of the lines were in the game. If any cutscenes were there, they were extremely work in progress. Uh, so I had no, I had no idea what it was going to, you know, how it was going to be when I sat down to play the final thing uh, on the shipped game. Uh, I just knew that Mitch said he liked it, and I was like, well, that's okay. I, I, I couldn't even, it took me, I was very nervous. It took me, I think, three weeks uh, after the game had shipped before I could bring myself to sit down and play it. But that's, that's normal with me. When, once I ship a game, it takes me a while. Yeah, you're just like, because usually when I'm working on something a long time, like I did a documentary on Battlefront, and the whole time I was working on it, I was like, nobody, nobody's going to like this. And then I released it, and I listened to it again. I'm like, oh, it's actually turned out pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that exactly. That's the whole uh, like arc of creating something. is This is a great idea. Oh, no, this is the worst thing ever. Oh, it turned out not too bad. Uh, okay. And uh, yay, it's done. Hooray. Uh, you know, it's, it's this full, wonderful circle. Uh, even with Star Wars, even with Star Wars, you end up going to the same, same, uh, routine. But I, like, I'm with Mitch, like, after I sat down and played it, I was like, wow, this actually, I was, it's the first game I've ever worked on that I wasn't playing throughout the entire development. So when I finally played the campaign, it was almost, like, totally new for me. So that was really cool. 
Nice, yeah. So let's let's get started with the first mission, the cleaner. Now, when this is like this is an awesome opening because you're in a rebel ship. Like, love rebel ships. It, it's very tentative for callback, and you get to play with the little uh, the little droid, the ID ten droid. Like, that was awesome. So she must sabotage the ship and escape. You tie in a lot of Return of the Jedi in this. So how is that writing-wise? Well, when you're doing something like this in Star Wars that has a huge timeline, the first thing you want to do is you've got to, unless you're just going to like put a big crawl on the front of it, which we did not do, uh, because crawls are the domain of the saga films. Uh, I did write one once upon a time. Did, yeah, did I ever yeah, show that to you? One. Yeah. Wrote it. Yeah, 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 okay, it. okay. Yeah, yeah. It's it was so long ago. I don't know the timeline of anything anymore. Yeah, so we had a crawl, but the crawls are only for saga films. So without the crawl, you have you're you're put in the situation where right from the beginning, you have to pinpoint your timeline for the player or the viewer or the reader. Uh so they understand exactly where in this huge, you know, what are we at? 60 plus years now of like film timeline. So we're sitting 65? Something 70? like that, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Like, where are we exactly in this, like, 75 years that are covered in the galaxy? And so it's like, okay, we we know where we're at in Return of the Jedi, but we gotta, we gotta hit that for the players. So you're hitting, you know, you're making sure that the characters and the world and everything going on around you is not just, like, calling out to Return of the Jedi, but you're trying to figure out exactly what point in these people's timeline would they be at in the film and what are they waiting for what's the news that they're trying to get which is where we're getting this transmission from admiral akbar that's alerting the rebels about the attack that's about to go down uh over endor and getting everyone to gather over solace because you know it's a it's a big scattered force kind of a thing and uh you know it's that great mix of getting to like play with the, the narrative that's happening around the films that we're all uh so familiar with but also at the same time uh, giving you this whole other angle, hitting it from the Imperial side. Mitch? Yeah, the cleaner also, it wasn't always our opening mission. We had originally, Walt's, the, my, one of my favorite things that Walt did on the project, the opening shot that Walt wrote was the executor coming over the camera like a new hope, and then something goes wrong, it twists to the side, and you realize it's on the crash course for the Death Star. Oh, that, and it was such that, was, a, like, that sounds and we, awesome. Yeah, and we did keep it, right? Like, that shot is in there yeah. when you go to Endor. But what we realized is Endor as a mission is very frantic. It's a failure. It's not glamorous. It's not very special forces, right? Like they do kick ass, but they're not on this big upswing. So we needed a win for Inferno squad, right? We needed to show you that Aiden was an incredible commander, that she had these tools that are unique to the empire in the, the ID 10 droid. And that she had this squad that trusted her, even though she was doing something like way outside the lines of protocol. So that was where we started conceiving of this thing inside of the rebel ship. Yeah, now, fun fact, originally in this opening mission, your character, Aiden, was going to have been uh, taken captive by the Rebels after taking out the Rebels' Bothan spies. <laughs> yeah, those are, those and we, and we ran that by team. Lucas, and Lucas was like, Bothans don't exist. We're so tired of hearing you people talk about Bothans. No, stop. <laughs> no, they didn't say that. They didn't say that. Uh, but... They were like, we're not, you know, Bothans, uh, we're not ready for that yet. I think, yeah, I think Bothans, as it always goes, you know, they're they're kind of reserved. There's a place for them to be determined. Yeah. 
But also somewhere deep inside, I kind of like to think that Lucasfilm is like, what's the thing that people are just dying to know? Ah, Boffins. What do those guys look like? Let's see how long we can play chicken. Let's just <laughs> let's really make them wait for it. <laughs> yes, I feel the because every that's the thing. Every time there's a new creature in a new film, people are like, "Is that a boffin?" And they're like, "No, <laughs> no, that's not a boffin." <laughs> so much so that Pablo Hidalgo changed his name to "It's Not a Boffin." I know, that was so good. That was a good death. <laughs> oh, that was that was perfect. So after after the first mission, we jump to the second Death Star's explosion and Inferno Squad's escape from the forest moon of Endor. I loved how this kind of called back to the Return of the Jedi in the way that, like, on the Rebel side, you're running around Endor trying to kill some people, and the Rebels are doing that on Return of the Jedi. So what what was your goal? Like you said, you're trying to set it up, being very friendly. What was the overall arc that you wanted to accomplish with that? Yeah, this was always the mission that the game hinged on, right? Battlefront 2, like the most striking piece of concept art we had, the best core idea we had, the anchor for the entire story was, it was that moment. It was the Death Star exploding and you seeing it from the perspective of a soldier who, you know, ostensibly lived there. That That was everything they expected would be the turning point of the war. And we needed to topple the Empire and we needed to show weakness at a point when the Empire should have been winning. It had to be this gigantic rebel victory and now turning the empire into the underdog and making it a a scattered escape for these, these special forces soldiers, putting them really, really on the back foot. Um, that was the most appealing thing about, about having a soldier story from the empire's perspective for us from the very beginning. Yeah. There's something like you don't, that we got to do in this mission that you don't see a lot of with the empire, which is at least in the films and, and, and other media is, the idea that these are still soldiers, that this is still, these are still, you know, brothers in arms in a way. And once that Death Star goes up, you've got these troopers on the ground, both Inferno Squad and then normal troopers, who are suddenly faced with nothing but questions. They have no idea what's going on, no idea what to do. Commands from up above are probably non existent at this point, as everyone in the ships are asking the ones that have survived or asking themselves the same question and those that are still around that haven't retreated are trying to figure out what's going on and to have Aiden not only in this position of now being on the losing side but attempting to gather and rally and rescue troopers that she doesn't even know instantly gives us a different look at the M- the imperial troop on the ground so, uh, you know, a soldier that we, we've gotten used to seeing almost as expendable uh, to realize that maybe these people are probably not expendable to each other. Maybe they're really only expendable to the people above them. Uh, and having these people come together in Endor for this big final push towards the end to get up to the, uh, the flight path. Not flight path. What do you call it? Mitch, what are the things that planes sit on? What do you call them? A landing pad? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I was like, flight path? What do we do? How do we get? Okay. I'm that's with you. I got word. you, Walter. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. For me, that was really an interesting thing. Because yeah, I know it, that. Right? Like, I didn't getting her yeah. guys out specifically. Like, being the first in and the last out is something that she calls out. And, and as she seizes the landing platform 
she's like, you know, they, they clear a path. Okay, Hask, take that five fighter and get to the Corvus. Okay, we cleared another one. Dowel, that one's you. I'm going to fight alone and get the last one out, but you guys go ahead, get safe. Yeah, that was a that was a really awesome and very fast-paced moment for me because I was like, oh, no, we need, we need to get off this planet, but I need to get my teammates out first. So that was... That was a really fun level for me, um, and I really like the what you what you did with the campaign is where we get these characters that we knew nothing before, but you make me care about them in a way that I did not expect. Especially since I'm a rebel guy, I love the rebels, but at, the whole time I was like, "This is an interesting storyline." I think that was the tallest order of the entire game, right? Is introducing you to people who are ostensibly villains that you've never met and making you think of them as people. Um, and that was why those first two missions, we really needed to connect Aiden to her guys. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm really <laughs> relieved to hear that it worked for you. Yeah. Now let's talk about the big wow moment from like the first start of the campaign. So it's the Dauntless mission, the Sentinel droid, Emperor Palpatine and his project Cinder. So when I first saw this, I was like, whoa, Papa Palps is here. Sheev is still around somehow. And then it's like, we, we learn more of the backstory and how he set up this plan. So if he did die, he would have something that would keep the empire going forward. What drew you to that as a storytelling aspect? Well, so as we were putting the story together, we wanted it to not feel like it was in a vacuum. We wanted to have, we wanted to reward the fans who read the comics and the books and watch the shows and have the full grasp of, of what's going on in the galaxy at this time. And, and of all the, all the stories that were out when we began working on this, one that really kind of stuck out to us was the comic book Shattered Empire, where the, the Empire... Uh, activates this uh, posthumous plan that the Emperor put in place called Operation Cinder. That's basically anything... It looks on the outside to, to people that the Emperor is just being petty. He's died, and so he wants the galaxy to burn with him. But what's actually happening is that it's he's having any planet that has a connection to him, anything that could reveal something about him or his past... Those are the targets of Cinder. He's literally deleting himself from history so that no one could ever find these things. And, um, and we found something really intriguing about that. There was uh, the, these dual layers to this operation that for the, for the officers who were getting these messengers, it's this sign of both prestige and trust. But then the you know as usual the emperor is what the what the emperor's plan is it's never what it seems like on the surface there's this lower level this personal goal of what it's set out to accomplish and then you've got people like Aiden who are just caught up in the whole thing who have no real understanding of what's happening on either level and they're forced to take a step back and look at this and like why well, there's no reason, rhyme or reason to this how is this the empire that we've been fighting for uh, and, um, yeah, so, like, these robots, and the, the, these were all set into place for uh, just waiting to be sent off the moment the Emperor died, which I love because it means that the, at some point in time in his reign, the Emperor is just sitting in a room in front of a hollow camera 
And I don't know if he's got like an attendant or a droid, but they're like, okay, so this uh, this next one, yeah, this one's for Admiral Verzio. Who's Admiral Verzio? No, you met him at that party. He's the, oh, the Inferno Squad. Yes, okay, I, I got this one. I got this one. Admiral Verzio. Uh, and, you know, like, <laughs> I love that kind of, uh, uh, and that's obviously that's not going to be in the game. But for me personally, I love looking at these fantastical things that happen in Star Wars and then, like, exploring the mundane reality of how that would actually have occurred uh, to, to make that happen. Uh, but that's me trailing off on side story. Um, we can just assume that's canon. Yeah. Um, you said it out loud, so that makes it uh, that's official, right. authentic Star Wars. Yeah. Yes. That's right. The game is it's, it's still 2017, which means Mitch and I are still deputized official Star Wars men. So things that we say... <laughs> Can in fact still be construed as canon. Yes, we've got we've got a couple more weeks, Mitch. We got to get it all in. Yeah. Go out with a bang. Uh, Jess Rendar. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, that that's awesome. <laughs> like I I also like to think of like you know these people have to take bathroom breaks sometimes. When do they do this? Like. What's happening? Uh, I like to think uh, while we were watching The Last Jedi that Snoke's throne is just his toilet. It's why he never leaves it. Yeah. <laughs> that, hey, when you're the supreme sense. leader, they can't question it. <laughs> yeah, you do whatever you want. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so following the Dauntless mission, it's my favorite mission of the whole campaign. The Observatory with Luke Skywalker. So this mission resonated with people in a way that we did not anticipate at all. <laughs> we thought like it'd be a cool side story. It's got some interesting connections to The Last Jedi, as we now know. And we thought that would kind of be it. But man, did it strike a chord with people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Luke is my favorite character, so I loved seeing him at a time that we don't really get to see him in. Yeah, and I think well, Walt specifically found this thing that, and, it, and this is the thing I keep seeing come up whenever people um, talk about this mission, is the expression or the phrase that Luke uses when Dell says, why did you help me? Is because Luke says, because you asked. Yeah. And that was such a, that was such a moment for me. Like, God, that is Luke Skywalker. Like, that moment is everything for me, for the mission. And you guys, you, you handle Luke Skywalker perfectly like that's exactly what i want to see from luke i don't want to see him like just mowing down stormtroopers just because but he like after he kills all of them del's like did you you killed all of my friends and then he was like they didn't give me a choice but you did that's why you're still alive so Ooh, that I was love another that. good one that's another walt classic yeah <laughs> what, what was your approach to adding luke well, so going into this project, we had been told that Lucasfilm is very protective of Luke. That everyone, everyone with a story comes in and is like, okay, so. So then Luke Skywalker shows up and Lucasfilm's like, well, why? Because it would be really cool. It's Luke. <laughs> well, that's not, that's not a great reason. That's uh, not a story. Yeah. So like we, were, we knew in advance that like, if, if you come in asking for Luke, you have to, it's got to, you got to have a reason. 
and a good reason. And it's gotta, you know, it's gotta be a reason in the story. And what we, knowing that our characters, so let's, let, let's jump ahead real fast because we knew right from the get go that even though we're starting off as Imperial characters, that our characters were going to have to defect. And there's a very, very good reason why. Because we knew our game was going to carry all the way up to the sequel trilogy. And we couldn't have our characters transfer over from the Empire to the First Order because our game was coming out before Return of the Jedi. And a lot of stuff about the First Order had not yet been revealed. So we couldn't just suddenly be, you know, scooping The Last Jedi a month in advance with all these First Order revelations. We couldn't do that. So that was always going to be from the get-go. Our characters were going to have to defend. Because we, there was just, there's just part of the sequel trilogy that we couldn't touch. And it was that internal side of the First Order. So, knowing that, we were looking at ways to have our characters begin to move towards defection that we have not really seen before. And a lot of times it's just the slow realization or the fast realization that, oh no, it turns out the Empire's bad. I don't like that. I'm going to go. I'm going to go now. We'd never seen someone on the Imperial side begin to question the Empire because they had seen something so good on the side of the Rebellion that it made them question all of their decisions in life. And that's what we wanted. That's where Luke came in, is that this idea that Luke is a type of hero that just by crossing your path briefly and being himself, he could make you question being a part of the Empire if you're actually listening and watching. And that, I remember it distinctly because we went in to pitch the story to Lucasfilm and we're sitting at a conference table surrounded by 10 or 12 members of story group. And I say, the next mission we jump to Luke Skywalker, and I see all of their faces harden into stone. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, 20 eyeballs rolling. <laughs> oh, boy. Wow, they were not joking when they told us. Okay. And as I walked them through the idea for the story and the mission, one by one, I saw those faces soften. And then when I was at the end of it, all around the table, nodding their heads and smiling. And it was like, I remember we, we pitched the whole story to them that day. And when we walked out of that conference room, I think the first thing Mitch and I said to each other was, I think we got Luke Skywalker. I think we get to write a Luke story. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and it because it was all about that idea of Luke being such a hero, such a good person, that it could possibly rub off on someone else, even if that person was an Imperial. Yeah. Before we started this morning, I was playing through and getting my notes ready for the interview. And I have in my notes that I loved how you poked at Dell's struggle. Like that was one of my favorite things is like when Luke goes over there and he's like, I can feel conflict in you. And you know, like that's true that, and you see that in Dell's reaction. He's like, yeah, the emperor was a force user. It's like, and then you also hint like, yeah, so Dell's definitely trying to find a way that he can get himself away from the Empire. 
Well, with Dell, when we when we originally created that character, we always saw him. You know, he's a, he's the oldest member of the team, um, and he, you know he joined up after the Clone Wars because he really, when the Empire was doing that first enlistment drive, he wanted to help resecure the galaxy after the war, and found you know very quickly that he had a true talent for this. Like he was, he's one of those people who's just kind of a natural soldier. He's he was a good follower. Uh, he, he's not, he wasn't a career soldier in the sense that he was looking to like climb the ladder. <laughs> he just wanted to do his job and make the galaxy a better place. And over time by simply doing his job, he can't, you know, began to realize, Oh, well, this is not, we're not making the galaxy a better place. But you know, at that point he's so far down the line, he doesn't know how to get out. He doesn't know what else to do. And he doesn't really have any other skills like his, talent is being a soldier yeah and so he has we always saw him as a character that had this kind of quiet resigned sadness to him because he's just kind of stuck in this life he knows what the empire is but he made a choice to be a part of it and he doesn't see a way out of it and when he runs into luke he begins to finally see that you know maybe Maybe there is another way. Because I think with Dell, when you have a character that's grown world-weary of fighting, you know, telling them, hey, go join the Rebellion. It's like, really? Okay, so just, I can make my life better by just killing people on the other side? Okay, that's great. That's not, you know, Dell, that, and I, and I think Luke would have sensed that, which is why Luke doesn't say, go join the Rebellion. He says, just make a choice Do to better. be better. Yeah. yeah. That's what Dell needed. Yeah, that's what Dell needed to hear uh, to begin that push for him in that other direction. Yeah, and I really like that. Um, so you kind of touched this on earlier, but I want to expand on it a little bit. So you said you always decided to have them defect, right? Yes. Yeah. So 100%. That, that's that's interesting because, like, what was what was the pitch when you? When you started the story, you said, hey, we want to do this story, and you lined it out. Well, we always knew we wanted to do the Empire. We knew we wanted to show what it was like to be in the Empire. Imperial Special Forces was always there. Like, the literal first idea I had was calling them Inferno Squad. Walt made them Special Forces Unit. Um, That was in our very, very first pitch document. But we also knew that, uh, one, it's a strong story to have the emotional core of a loyalist absolutely broken you know what is it like to push somebody like this to their absolute breaking point what is the what does it take to turn them was always the kind of hook with Aiden and then from a more practical perspective kind of in the same line of what Walt was talking about with the first order we also knew that from a video game perspective you didn't want to just fight rebels the whole time yeah you you would have to mix it up and you'd fight and fly different ships and fight and fly different fight and fight against uh, and with different uh, allies and enemies. So it was, for the sake of variety, it also made sense. But we also looked at Aiden always as this sort of light side character born in dark side circumstances. Kind of the inverse of Anakin, who's a dark side character born into very light side circumstances. Uh, and then he wrestles free from that to become his true self in Darth Vader. Um, and we wanted Aiden to sort of bring good into the Empire and do good for the Empire 
fighting for the safety and security of the galaxy uh, and then realizing that there is a certain cost to doing that for the Empire and less of a cost or a different kind of cost uh, to doing it for the Rebellion. Nice, yeah. I, I really like that. Okay, so Han Solo, Leia, Lando, and Luke. You guys went all out. What what was that well, like? So first off, right from the bat, I said when they so I mean it's Battlefront. You've got heroes playing as heroes are a big part of it. So that was always part of the pitch was that we would have opportunities to play uh, as the heroes for multiplayer in the single player campaign, and that their stories would you know be touching on items throughout. But right from the get-go, I said, we're doing Lando. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't care who else, I don't care who else we use, but we're absolutely using Lando. Because and I'm pretty sure that changed him. DICE's intentions for like the heroes they were going to ship with. They were like, <laughs> we're like no, we're doing Lando. We're yes. Shipping Lando. <laughs> uh, someone, I, re- I remember very well someone being like, uh, so we might have to cut Lando. And I was like, I might have to cut you. I will quit. <laughs> with a knife. <laughs> Uh, and you know that quickly changed their mind. Um, you remember at what point we decided that Lando and Shriv would be paired up? Um, I don't because I don't remember if that was always the case or if I don't. I don't remember. I because Shriv was always this this kind of third wheel kind of character that we had in the background that we liked a whole lot. But yeah. the more we started writing him, the more he became central the more he became a key player like yeah, he was I originally i remember we pitched him as like he was leia's eyes and ears inside inferno squad and he is uh, he, and is. he is but That's he also just, not just becomes really a full-blown member. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's 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 so much backstory to shriv that i hope <laughs> we'll one day be able to tell but like he yeah. is a genuinely complicated uh character who has, there's a reason he is the way that he is. And it's precisely because of the type of work he did for the Rebellion before we meet him in the game. Yeah, I have in my notes that mission had everything. Shriv, Lando, action, humor, Shriv, humor. (laughs) (laughs) Humor was important for us. But going back, we'll we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Going back to your question of the heroes. I mean, it was just about, uh, it, you know, it, it gets tricky because with the game, you've got heroes from all the different timelines. And so we kind of had to, with just the nature of where, when our story was set, it kind of, you know, limited who we could play as. I mean, right from the bat, you can't play as the Emperor or Darth Vader because they did. Yeah. They're gone. They died, uh, you know, like, 15 minutes into the game and uh, we're not going to flash back to him. So that limited us to, you know, in the original trilogy, that limited us to our, our heroes, uh, people on on the rebellion side, you know, prequel characters, obviously they're out. um, And we're not up to the the present day, uh, the sequel trilogy. And even then, like we were extremely limited in what we could do. Uh, We, you know, with Finn, He's a, he's a brain, uh, he's, he's a, uh, what do you call him when you, um, mind control kind of 
Oh, like brainwash. He's a condition brainwash. Yeah. He's a brainwash. Uh, you know, first order stormtrooper until literally the moment he switches in the film. And uh, we knew that we didn't want to if we when we got up the sequel trilogy, we didn't just want to like have players playing scenes from the film as those characters. But there's also no wiggle room in that film. Like all of those characters are basically covered on screen. So we were kind of it gave us a little bit of wiggle room with Kylo. But for all the others, it was like, I mean, these are the pieces that we have to play with. So luckily, uh, we already had a lot that had been written for these characters in regards to plotting out what trajectories they were on. You know, from Chuck Wendig's Aftermath trilogy was really helpful with Han Solo in particular. Uh, Knowing that he's on this path to try and liberate Kashyyyk uh, gave us some clear timeline for him. Lando, he's basically untouched. He was free game. Like, no one had pinpointed anything Lando was doing. Which is so, crazy. Where are my Lando I know! It's so, like, that's, you know, that was also my feeling, too. Like, where are our Lando stories? I need to They're spearhead. They're in Walt's brain. Call us. Yeah, I need to spearhead <laughs> Lando and bring him back to the forefront because he is the greatest character in the original trilogy. <laughs> Hello, what have we here? Man's got a cape. Exactly. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, you know, like, that's the, the, the wonderful thing about video games, and I put wonderful in quotes here, is that so much of the writing that you do is determined by design. And so, you know, we came in knowing we're going to have to find ways to make the heroes work in the story. And then from there, you, you make the story work. You know, you, uh, and we did. We, I, I feel like every single one of those hero missions, spectacular. When I finally I got around yeah. to playing them, I was, I was so happy with them. We resisted them in the beginning, honestly, because we thought, you know, we would really like to focus on Aiden. The heroes feel like they don't, you know, it's weird to go from playing as somebody with a rifle to playing as somebody with a lightsaber. But it turned out so well because everybody was so on the same page with what the hero missions needed to be. They needed to be strong connections to Inferno Squad. And then they also needed to have their own character implications. So we started throwing around crazy big ideas like, what if what Luke finds in the vault is what puts him on the island at Achto? What if what Han does in Takodana is what makes Maz so pissed off at him in The Force Awakens, right? Like, those kinds of sweeping ideas were the conversation starters that got us to go to the places we did with these missions. Yeah, and and, and I'm going to toot our horn here a little bit, but when I finally sat down to play it on the shipped game, like, I walked away from it feeling like these are... These are the most faithful original interpretations of the of the classic characters in the video game space that we've ever had in a video game. It's not repeating things that we've seen in the films. It's continuing their stories. And every single one of these characters felt right. They felt like the characters from the film and where they would be in this point. And just as a fan, that was exciting for me. And I almost kind of was like, man... I wish we just, you know, really had the the grit to try and push a whole, like, uh, story that's just, like, immediately following Jedi that's these characters. Yeah, we went from, like, resisting these hero missions to (laughs) wanting to just do, uh, like, a whole bunch of more of them. I don't know, it was a strange turn of events for us, emotionally, but it was good, man. It was cool to see these missions come together, and, like, it was just, it was gratifying to be able to write a true hero in Luke Skywalker, and it was wonderful to be able to write straight-up jokes with Lando and Shriv. They were just such departures from the kind of writing we were doing with Aiden, which was telling her emotional arc and completing her character. Uh, 
while also having their narratives kind of intertwine in a way that made sense. Yeah, I think you guys captured that perfectly because I loved playing as Shriven Lando. That was like one of the coolest levels. And I loved how you paired Shriv and Lando up because they were the perfect pairing for that level. They're like such an old married couple, right? Yeah, exactly. Perfect. <laughs> okay, so final mission and then a little bit on resurrection. So decades later on Pilio, Kylo Ren and members of the Inferno Squad meet and Del dies. Del was a good man and you killed him. He was a good man. So how did you write this mission for so the off, creepiness, especially? So off the bat, I, I do have to say, I've got this thing. When I lay down a plot for a story, right off the bat, I'm just like, so who am I killing? Who am I going to kill? <laughs> <laughs> Someone's got to die. It's some, you know, any number between one and all, someone's got to die. <laughs> um, and... Pretty early on, I knew I wanted Del to die. Even when, like, there was a point where Del was a completely different character in our first pitch. Remember? Yeah, he uh, was like the quiet. He was basically Aragorn. Oh. Yeah, he he was. Uh, no, I had him like uh, the one, no, the the French spy kind of. Oh guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, and when like we quiet, get to stoic. Yeah, and like when because he was originally uh, like uh, a spy, an imperial spy who went full soldier. And uh, in the in the sequel trilogy era, he what he refuses to come back and fight when all the stuff is going down, and like Hask just hunts him down and kills him out of spite. Um, and uh, and Zay was who was named Zihe at the time was his daughter and his daughter alone because we hadn't we didn't have him and Ida together. He had just gone off in the interim, had a kid. And was like, no, I'm not going to fight anymore. I'm done. And she's been trying to get him to join the resistance. And he's just like, nah. He'd retired to Naboo, to the countryside. Because he just, he liked it from the one time he was there. Did he hate Sand? He hated a lot of things. Our, this original Dell was extremely bitter. Uh, it was nothing like the final Dell that we ended up. Yeah, creating. he wanted out. Like, you meet him and he already wants out. He's burned yeah. out on war. He's tired. He's weary. He's just, he wants to live a life yeah and he he just liked naboo as this like and when i say like the fields i mean like the fields where the gungans fight droids in phantom menace like the middle of nowhere naboo yeah uh because like he's just like yep no people this is perfect love it um so that was off you know we that kind of began the seed of this like hask dell uh conflict that would happen at this point where and and and, and, we, and what's interesting is a lot of it stays dell in the final game is also not a fighter he's become a pacifist but for a completely different reason it's all his his, his refusal to fight now in the game stems from his meeting with luke skywalker which led him down this path of faith and then led him to the church of the force and led him to the path of nonviolence. Um, so having him stumble into the hands of Gleb in, in Pilio, in the Janata system, and Gleb knowing exactly who he is and who he's connected to, and knowing she, her working with Hask, knowing that Hask would probably deem this as a favorable gift, contacts the First Order. 
to let them know that she has him. And that's, of course, when, you know, Kylo comes in. And because he's on, Kylo is on this mission to find the map. Um, and he's, he's trailing it. You know, we see only the end of that mission at the beginning of The Force Awakens, where he finally tracks down Laura Santeca. Uh, but he is, he's on this long path of trying to find Laura Santeca, who's known as the Explorer uh, by a lot of people in the galaxy. Because he's just traveling the galaxy and uh, discovering things and learning things and writing them down. Um, and so that Dell would have this cross with him through the Church of the Force and know where he had gone to at one point in this trek. That's where Kylo uh, comes into this situation is to pull that out of Dell's mind. What we were looking to do is we were looking at The Force Awakens and this thing that Kylo does where he is... Um, reading first Poe's mind and then Ray's mind, and he's describing sights and things that they are seeing, and we've seen it from the outside. And we wanted to, we were really interested in trying to express that through what Kylo would be seeing through his own eyes, possibly walking through these people's minds and memories. Which, wow, didn't that really kind of line up really nicely with the Last Jedi? Who knew that there was going to be force projection in the next film? Because we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> but it totally <laughs> made me very happy. I was like, yes, I like this. This is good. Uh, this worked out really well for what we did. But Lucasfilm was like, that's great. I, we love it. Yeah, this. it was funny, too, because it wasn't always Kylo. We always kind of danced around Kylo thinking he'd be off limits because he's so specific and because of who he is, obviously. So we kept pitching these other ideas for hero missions. Like, well, what about, I don't know, Poe on the ground, something, something, and nothing quite worked. We eventually just bit the bullet and said, you know what, we're going to, we're going to come up with this idea. We're going to pitch this Kylo thing. We're going to do this. What is it like to see interrogations through his eyes? We had this big elaborate pitch and we got on a call with Lucasfilm and they, they, (laughs) I remember Pablo just kind of out says like, Hey, um, so what about just doing a Kylo mission? (laughs) We were like, Yes. Thank you, Pablo. Here's the pitch. And they really liked it. There were, like, I can't tell you how many times there were things we were afraid to pitch. And then they would throw it out and we'd be like, oh, thank you. We've got, we've already got something lined up. We were, we were so scared. There was also, there were things like, uh, we had, a. (laughs) I guess we can mention it. There was a mission that ended up getting cut. Uh, that was going to include a clone of the Zillow Beast from the Clone Wars, and we were like, "That's uh, there's an, that that's too cheesy. It's too much of a callback. They want to, you know, they're going to want us to make new monsters and things." And so we pitched this whole mission to them with just a big creature in it, and they're like, "Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool." It's like, "Well, we've got a second pitch for it." but we don't know if y'all like it. And, they're like, and they all like lean forward like, oh, what could it be? <laughs> and we're like, what if it's the clone of the Zillow Beast from Clone Wars that Palpatine sends off with his technicians? And we've never heard of what happened to that thing ever since. And Pablo just <laughs> leans forward. He's like, yes. It <laughs> <laughs> like, was a good moment. I'm like, we're going we're gonna to talk to Dave. <laughs> we're going to go to Poloni. <laughs> like, oh man, this is for real. Uh, and then, unfortunately, that, that mission did not make it because it turns out um, uh, creating a large Zillow beast enemy uh, is extremely expensive <laughs> and not something 
that you can repurpose for other levels. So it didn't fall into the production budget, sadly. But Yeah, it was basically like, have this crazy new monster with its unique skeleton and dis- distinct animations, or you could have seven other missions in the game. <laughs> we chose more missions for the game. Yeah, yeah. also an enemy that is uh, immune to blasters, uh, immune <laughs> to basically all weapons. So we're building a giant thing that, uh, that you can't kill. Um, yeah, no, yeah. Design was like, oh, it's a great idea, guys. Really like it. Mm-hmm. So now back to what we were actually going to do. Uh, well, let's do this. Uh, <laughs> that would be awesome, but <laughs> pretty much, yeah. It actually, real fast, it did lead to my favorite shriv line that didn't make it into the game, which is when because it was an Iden and Shriv mission, okay. And you're speeding away from the Zilla beast as Iden, you're driving a, some type of speeder, and Shriv's on the back, and he's just blasting away at it with his blaster, and Iden yells at him. Blasters aren't going to work, or something like that. And he responds, I know, but it makes me feel better. <laughs> and we kept trying to get that line in anywhere we could, and there was just never the right spot for it. Oh, that, that would someday. be awesome. Maybe someday. I love Shrove. Me too. He's my hero. My favorite son. Mine and Walt's son. <laughs> Who turned Their out to be a grumpy little baby boy. A <laughs> grumpy baby boy. Uh, but sadly, that's all the time that I have. I wish we could go on for like two more hours, but don't you sure want to? Don't you want to go into resurrection real fast? I'm sorry, I feel like I took up too much of your time. Let's, uh, give it a little resurrection. Come on. We, okay. We can, yeah. do, we can get five more minutes. We can squeeze it in. Let's do it. Okay. So the extension of the story. Super pumped about what? What was the idea for it? So we always saw Resurrection as the third act of the campaign uh, when we were writing it. We knew from the get-go that it was going to be the third act in regards to Aiden's story. Uh, you know, the ship campaign kind of sets it up like the whole story was originally meant to be uh, just this period during the original trilogy. But we always saw this third act, uh, or the DLC as being the third act. Uh, which is the idea of jumping ahead and that this, you know, this fight may have been, they thought this fight was won uh, at the Battle of Jakku, but it wasn't. And even if 30 years had passed, this is still the same war suddenly picking up where these characters have thought that they were free, thought that their fighting was done, and are now suddenly faced with this new threat that they don't even, they're not even aware about. They're coming in, Dell's missing possibly dead, and as they're trying to track him down, beginning to find the threads of the First Order that are leading to this ultimate conflict that's about to engulf the galaxy. Uh, I think the other part of it is we really wanted to have a Star Wars story that had a positive mother-daughter relationship, right? Like a good (laughs) parent-child relationship, something that was uh, whole. And even though Zay goes through a lot of really difficult and grievous losses throughout Resurrection... Uh, we did want to make sure that she and Aiden were close and that they were a family and that they could connect to each other. So when Aiden starts to kind of have her meltdown, you know, she tells Zay her father is dead and Zay takes it better than Aiden because Aiden is coming undone. She's basically transforming back into old Imperial Aiden. She's pissed off. And the only person who can ground her is Zay. And Zay brings her back to reality and makes her see the bigger picture and kind of 
eases her into the idea of doing something for the greater good, making Dell's loss count for something. Uh, and it was important to us to make sure that Zay carried uh, her mother's hope and ambition and drive forward. And it wasn't that losing her parents destroyed her and and uh, and made her uh, less of a person. It, it had to be something that empowered her. It couldn't be the end of her career as a you know a military person in the resistance. It had to be something that she could take the best of them and put it forth into the galaxy and kind of rebuild their legacy. Yeah, I really love that extension. Question I have to ask. I don't know if you'll be able to answer it. Will there be more? Because you guys set it up perfectly. I want to see more well, of Zay. I mean, I think it it's set up for there to be more, for sure. And the thing is, with all of these characters and everything, and, and, I, and I'm answering this slightly vague, but also very truthfully. Um, the purpose of all of these characters was to create threads that could be followed, whether it's by us or whether it's by other people. I mean, you know, we already have the prequel novel that was written by Christy Golden. Yeah. Uh, you know, that we, you know, we uh, gave some feedback on, but was, you know, entirely, uh, uh, you know, her. So, like, we've already, these characters have already been spun off into the hands of other people. And so, will there be more, ultimately, is a, is a decision for people outside of us. But I think that, yes, probably, there will be, whether or not we're the ones writing them. And I think that's that's a super... Like, there, there is a point in The Last Jedi that directly responds to the final scene of our game, which I wasn't aware of, and Mitch wasn't aware of, and I know watching it on the screen, uh, you know, I guess we're, we're, we're doing spoilers, so we can say, you know, when they sure, find yeah. out that the, the Resistance allies aren't coming. Yeah. I mean, for months we've been living with, Mitch and I had been thinking, like, what would be the next, if we got to write the immediate aftermath? this what would that story be where they're going to get these resistance allies and all that stuff and it never in any point in time occurred to us that the allies would go no we're good we're not coming so like sitting in the theater and seeing that opening night and realizing that shriv and zay whatever this mission that happens immediately after our game that they had failed in some way was to learn that while watching episode eight <laughs> was both like it was heartbreaking and surreal at the same time because I it just, just it I worked and it fits and it fit yeah. into the theme of failure that is permeating all the way through the last Jedi. Yeah, yeah. but it's it also okay to you know, it, it allowed me to it allowed me to learn something about my characters and their journey that had nothing to do with anything we had come up with. Yeah, and like we might have had know, expectations yeah. for them, but the last Jedi changed them and it made us wonder okay now what are they up to because we don't know yeah that is awesome thank you so much for taking the time i wish we had like five hours (laughs) (laughs) so maybe there's going to be a part three who knows this could be a trilogy we shall see i like it i like it yes go in star wars fashion thank you so much you can follow mitch at mitchy d on twitter walt at walt d williams loved talking to you so much fun. I had a blast. Here, Me too. Yeah. Here's it some, was wonderful. Here's to more Star Wars. <laughs> yes. Okay. Bye-bye. See ya. Thanks all.